Hi, my name's Kramer, and I am proud to admit that I am a mama's boy. You're not just any mama's boy. You're a certified mama's boy. And this is the Certified Mama's Boy Podcast. Are you racist? I mean, I'm sure like the idea in your head right now is probably no, you're not. Uh, But by the end of this episode... I want you to realize that the idea of why racism is so big in our country, this is a heavy way to start the show, uh, may not, the answer may not be having to change much of anything other than ourselves. And we're going to get into that today in kind of a special edition of the Certified Mama's Boy podcast. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's really, usually that's a light, nice, light, airy tease. Um, So I'm Steve Kramer, and it's a podcast that I started because my mom's got the best words of wisdom ever. And we we start every show with her, and that's going to be the same with today. Hi, Mom. Hi, honey. You know, I woke up today with the news that everybody else did, and it was, I know it actually happened yesterday, but I didn't really, I kept seeing like the graphics and the memes, but I didn't really know what happened of the the joy the George Floyd situation up in Minneapolis mm. and in case mm. you're just kind of getting caught up with that it's a a black guy that was pinned down by his neck um and he uh, after there was some type of identification issue and um he was intoxicated but he ended up dying because he couldn't breathe and i it really uh, these stories strike me so hard because it just mm. seems like I want to do something about it. I feel mm-hmm. like as a white person, I'm almost part of the problem, mm-hmm. even though I know that my heart and my intentions are there. But today I just woke up feeling like, okay, I've got to do something. I got to do mm-hmm. something with this, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't watch it now after seeing it for the first time. I just, I just can't even bear the thought of it. It's so unjust. And, oh, and then today I, you know, on Netflix, I watched Michelle Obama's Becoming. And, you know, I was thinking the whole time to myself how hard it is to be a minority in this country. Even if you're the first lady, like she was talking about how she always had to be aware of, she had to always feel like she had to be perfect because she wasn't just representing the United States. But she was also had the, you know, she was representing the black race. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing to me. And we're going to get into this a little bit. So my guest today is someone that you know well. If you listen to the podcast, it's Miguel Fuller, who is my you used to hearing him being so zany and wacky and funny and goofy, and uh, and he is. But he also is very well versed in he's black and in, in, in African American studies and in um, just as being a not only a, a black man but also being a gay man. He really mm-hmm. knows the struggles of being a minority and how that and he's very well versed and, and spoken on the issues. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to get him on in a couple of minutes. To be honest with you, I've already recorded that part before I talked to my mom today. But I don't. I think that the problem starts, mom, and tell me if you feel the same way. Is mm-hmm. that it's almost like we don't know what we don't know. And mm-hmm. we grew up in, you know, even though I went to a diverse high school, I mean, the kids in my neighborhood were all white. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, my, uh, your friends were all white. Our church was mostly white. I mean, it was right. just a white upbringing. And right. so a lot of it comes from this turning a blind eye because I don't think we know any different of what it's like to not be white. Right, Exactly. We don't know what we don't know. You're absolutely right. And I know one time I said something to um, a black woman about not seeing color, that I didn't see color in people. Mm-hmm. And she said, that is a lie. You yeah. always see color. And I had to think about that, you know, right. um, because I, and I remember, you know, in my anti-racism uh training at the diocese when I was being ordained and, you know, having to imagine what it would be like to be a black person and to have, you know, black people there to say it's always on their mind. They think about it all the time. Whereas we don't think about being white. No, we're just white. We're just who we are, right? Right. We're just who we are. Um, So you're absolutely right. I don't think we can, 
I don't think most white people can truly understand what it would be like to be a black person, no matter how or much a, we love a, them. Any, any minority. Any minority. We, right. It's like, I don't exactly. know what's like Mexican. I have no exactly. idea you know, of what that feels like. And it's not even like the on surface level. It's the, mm-hmm. as we get into, and, and today's show, you'll kind of see what it's, uh, what it's talking about. And that's, you know, I just woke up feeling like I wanted to do something and I just knew that I wanted to ask that question. By the end of the episode, I think you're going to see exactly what we can do. And this, this is everybody. This is, it doesn't matter if you're white or if you're Mexican or if you're Asian or if you're whatever, um, you, what we all can do to kind of bridge this gap that has been so far separated. I'm actually really proud of this episode. So, mm, um, excellent. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can hear it tomorrow when it comes out. <laughs> That's right. You get no sneak previews, I no benefit. I know, I know, uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, but it's all about, you know, this podcast is all about positivity, right? And even yes. through uh, hard situations, trying to find the positive lights. And listen, this whole race stuff is, is really hard, but I hope that, you know, through this conversation, uh, there's just maybe one person listening that can get a nugget of knowledge that can make us as humans coming together a little bit easier. So mm-hmm. One of the things that Michelle Obama said was, you know, talking about how we had to be vulnerable enough to share our stories with each other. And of course, she's, you know, a master at that. I mean, she tells wonderful stories about herself and about others. And there was a, a little Chinese girl in one of her groups, you know, she does a lot of work with youth groups, um, which I adore her for. And um, she, the Chinese girl said, you know, how do I know what I am to become? Because, you know, I, I live with a single mom and I take, I help her take care of my three brothers and sisters and I'm trying to go to school. And Michelle looked at her and said, do you know how much power there is in what you just said? your story. That's who you are. You share that story. And it's so true. We have to share our stories. And Miguel is wonderful with that. And and so are you. But I mean, I really admire him. He's a beautiful soul. He is. So I look forward to it with everyone else. There you go. <laughs> Usually it's all about you, but not today. Not, oh, today. not today. Not about me. <laughs> um, really quick before we get to the uh, this episode is um, tomorrow. I know there is an outcome on did my dad go end up going to hang out with his friends during the coronavirus? And we do have a, a – I just didn't think it would be appropriate for today's episode. So tomorrow we will get to that story. Okay. Well. Okay. All right. Sounds great. All right. Love you. Love you forever. And we come back, we have this uh, really, really, I hope you will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. It wasn't an easy conversation, but I think a really helpful conversation. Next. Okay, so my guest today is, uh, you You probably know him from being the, let's see, the last time you heard from Miguel, it was, you were giving a, a graduation speech on Ambi, and I played that one last <laughs> week on the podcast. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember waking up to hearing the audio on my Insta story, and I was like, wait, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, I thought we had buried all of those clips. No, they're all coming back out. Every bit that you had, you thought we'd never hear from ever again that could ruin your career is literally in the palm of my hand right now. <laughs> oh gosh, I hope we're never up for the same job because holy well, crap, you could bury me. That's true. <laughs> you know, it's funny, really quick story before we talk to Miguel was there was a job in Tampa, actually. So Miguel is, is a radio host in Tampa and there was a job at a competing radio station that Miguel works at. And I was thinking like, man, and we would just go to battle with each other because mm-hmm. we, you know, were on a show together about five, six, seven years ago, and did uh, <laughs> to have all this audio. <laughs> My, can you imagine? We'd be like, "Well, did you know that Steve Kramer once said this?" <laughs> And I mean, just a litany of things comes to mind. <laughs> be, that's, that's right. I'm actually kind of nervous what you were going to say next. Even when I listen back to some of this audio, I'm like, I'm not even going to play that one back. Nope. Like, that's even too much. Like, we're not, it's not. And this is public airwave. Public airwaves. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, it was the Wild Wild West in uh, 2008, 9, and 10. It's true. 
So Miguel is here today. It's going to be a little bit different of a conversation, and I was glad you hadn't already exhausted this conversation. I, I checked to see your podcast today. You guys had already gone in on this, uh, and the first thing you guys started talking about was Holly's big tongue, pleasurable to men because it was an oversized tongue. So I was like, okay, so <laughs> it seems like we're talking on t- different topics today. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I love to talk to Miguel about race issues. You should know that Miguel is black. Mm-hmm. And he uh, Miguel was the very first person in my very white life to make me kind of understand the other side and understand that, like, my view of the world is so different than most minorities. Now, I am obviously extremely white. You've heard my mother. She could not be any whiter. Uh, you heard my father <laughs> could not be any whiter. But I will say we've always come from a, a family in Georgia that's been very open-minded mm-hmm. with our limited um, people around us. That makes sense, right? Like, I mean, just call yeah, it what absolutely. it is. Like, grew up with a bunch of white people, right? And right. it was somewhat diverse, but I never really went into – in Georgia, you didn't really have these hard-hitting – at least back in, you know, their – what. 90s you didn't have these kind of conversations and miguel i remember the first time we talked about race where i was like i think to your face i'm like that's so stupid but my head i'm like i think he's so right on this was I, we may have been talking either on the air or off the air and i remember you said something about uh why it's so important to have a black miss america pageant and my response was I, why like we're all just people why do we need to have and the same thing when it comes to uh bet it, is, it seems unnecessary like there's just tv there's any black tv there needs, needs to be tv doesn't mean like like these issues to me at the time were what were breaking us apart more than bringing us together it's like oh well if these minorities want to have their own separate entities that i don't mm-hmm. understand what the what the point of it was and then your that one explanation was when my mind started to shift on how I hate to use the word white privilege, but there's no other term to use than white privilege. And that's just the viewpoint that white people have that we can leave our houses and not be fearful of judgments or being killed. Absolutely. Um, That wasn't the first time I've had that conversation. The first time I ever had that conversation. And this also gives you a little clue into my personality was when I was in the seventh grade and no eighth grade and we had a um, little TV show that aired once a week on our middle school TV in-house channels and it was good morning CMS for Crab Apple Middle School in Roswell Georgia and my very first report in the eighth grade I wrote an article about the lack of diversity in primetime television in the year 1998. So Mm -hmm. as an eighth grader, I was already very acutely aware that especially, and if you're not from Georgia, Roswell, um, and I don't know what the diversity makeup is now, but I'm pretty sure it's still just mostly white, um, that the people around me did not realize that when we all would come in and talk about what happened on Friends the night before or Seinfeld or any of those NBC must-see TV shows, they were all white people. Or even at that time when we were all watching uh, Dawson's Creek and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all the uh, Felicity, all those teen shows that we identified with. Well, I identified with the issues as a teen, but nobody was speaking to me as a black man. Um, and especially as a gay black man, even back then. And so that's but as a gay man, be honest, you wanted to be Felicity, didn't you? <laughs> I was Felicity. Okay. <laughs> Um, the only There's a real why- big juxtaposition between those two, right? Uh, listen, the only reason why I ever had a Friendsgiving is because Felicity had a Friendsgiving the first year she was at college, okay? Please so let's just, believe. Let's get in perspective really quick of where, how torn he was between the two. Because it's so, oh in some ways, it was so relatable. Oh, yeah. It was like, that's what I wanted. But, but also, too, to be serious is I had an, I'm sure there's a term for it, um, sort of like there's body dysmorphia. I had race dysmorphia because I, you know, so Atlanta, if you're not familiar with it, um, the county that Atlanta lives in, the city of Atlanta is Fulton County, and it's a long uh, cylinder county just 
in simple terms. I grew up on the south side near Hartsville Jackson International Airport on the black side. I was bussed up to the white schools from seventh grade all the way through high school. So And why was uh, that, by the way? I don't think I've ever asked you that question of why that actually happened. So, uh, long story short, um, my mom and I moved to Denver from Atlanta when I was six years old, and we moved back to Atlanta in 97 to take care of my grandmother who had a stroke. And after living in Denver for six years, which was where we lived, was super diverse. There was not one majority race. When we moved back to South Atlanta, I was a different person. I didn't have a Southern accent. I hadn't been, I hadn't been around any of my cousins or anything. So, I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm going to fit in at the schools here. And there were a couple mm. of kids um, in the neighborhood that I lived in that summer. It was the summer of 97. I was going into the seventh grade. And they were like, hey, we're in this program called M2M, Majority to Minority, where it was created back in the 70s in Atlanta to desegregate the schools, to take white kids from the north, send them to the south, and kids, black kids from the south, send them to the north. Well, by the time we got to the mid-90s, it was just black kids from the South going to the uh, North. And a couple of kids in my neighborhood around where I lived were like, hey, we're in this program. You should do it. And so as a very inspired uh, sixth going into seventh grade 11-year-old, I called the Fulton County Board of Education and got an emergency meeting so I could go to the schools up there mm. in Roswell. Um, you've, been, you've always been such a... What's the word like woke? I don't even think woke is the right <laughs> word, but you've always just been such an advocate, you know, like just such a strong spoken person been, for a lot of different minorities. Yeah, just very aware of my surroundings. Yeah. And I think a lot of that uh, lends to coming up a, as a black man and then also doubly as a gay man where, you know, I I. I tried to hide the fact that I was gay, but you know, as soon as I opened up my mouth, you could tell. Um, but as a black man, you know, I, I literally just got off the phone with you. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I was running a little behind because my mom was calling to talk to me about everything. Mm -hmm. And there mm -hmm. are things that you learn as a black man growing up or as a black boy that stays with you forever. And it's sort of, uh, makes you it makes you have to be woke in a sense when you are 10 11 years old what's one of the first memories you have where you realize that being a black person can be a disadvantage in america i would say it it was probably when i started at that school mm -hmm. uh crab apple middle school in roswell so in my mind i was thinking Ooh, this school up north is going to be like my school in Denver, where my best friend was a Hispanic girl, and I had a lot of Hispanic friends and black friends and white friends, and we all hung out together, and there was no issue. I thought it was going to be like that. And I remember the first time we drove up to Roswell, and I saw these huge houses that, I mean, I by that point, I had only lived in apartments my entire life mm -hmm. and i was like how does this happen and you see all the nice cars and i remember being there in seventh grade and everyone's talking about what did you do this summer and it was well i went to pc or destin or australia or all these other places and i was like so I got some old folders from my brother uh, to put my papers in and yeah. I have nothing new. And I saw that all the black kids that lived around me that were on the bus with me were in the same position I was and they weren't like the white kids. And that's mm -hmm. when I really started to understand that there was a difference. Um right. And then that's when I think that my like race dysphoria started to come into place. And I, I need to Google that and see if that is even a thing. Well, um, if not, you need to definitely copyright it because it mean, makes a lot of sense, you know, and I mean, there's a better way to like put it, you know, like oh, yes. seeing these two different things, like, especially with your unique situation. Maybe if you would have stayed in school in South Atlanta, you wouldn't have understood it as much. Right. But the fact that you were like, wow, I'm living in a completely different world now. Oh, and yeah. this just seems a little like a little unbalanced between the two races when it comes to a lot of different things. Oh, absolutely. And, and you just and 
you understand or no, you don't understand it. You see it, but you don't understand it. Sure. And that's when I really started to to clue in at that time the differences of, you know, when they when they would say to me, uh, because you know, I lived in Denver, so I used to I when growing up between birth and six, I had a really hard southern accent. When we moved to Denver, it like disappeared. And so when I got back to Atlanta, I remember some of the kids saying, wow, you speak really well. As opposed to what? What do you mean I (laughs) speak well? And But at the time, I was just like, oh, thank you. I'm from Denver. I live there. I lived in snow. Uh, And I didn't understand what the meaning behind that meant um, or – you know, when one of the the uh, the girls would the black girls that I was on the bus with, you know, would get angry with her teacher like any other student would. But it would be like, oh, there goes Tanisha copping an attitude, Miss Sassy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, why is she sassy? But then Brenda over here is just speaking the truth. And Let's look at that situation thirty years removed now, right? And right. maybe not thirty years. You're 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 really younger. I mean, than less than what you're trying to say. Okay, okay. Twenty plus years removed. Okay. <laughs> um, and like when you when you think about that comment of you speak so well, are you frustrated by that, or are you able to say this is a girl that didn't know better, like she didn't know? That that I, comment was inappropriate. That she that she grew up because I mean I I probably grew up like that little girl, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I I've never come up from a place when it comes to other races or or sexualities of a place of malice. It's almost just a a place of ignorance. And that's what it comes down to. I believe, and this may be ignorant and super uh, recklessly optimistic of me, uh, that most people are not racist or homophobic they just don't understand and that's Mm. what i've come into so often in life is when i start to speak about my experience or i explain what things mean most people the light bulb goes off and they go oh my gosh now i see why that was horribly ignorant they're not they don't have malice in their heart they don't have ill intention they just don't understand which is why i learned at an early age i don't confront those type of questions with anger i i i take it in as okay this is my job and this isn't every black person or gay person's job but i take it as a communicator my job is to communicate to you my experience in hopes that you will understand a little bit better. And so then when you encounter that black person at work and, you know, if it's, it's a black woman and they don't have their hair uh, permed and it's nice and textured and you're like, oh, girl, you're going back to your roots. And you sort of see why that's kind of a little offensive, but you don't yeah. know unless someone tells you. Right. Well, I want you to I want you to answer this question by the end of the podcast today. And that question is going to be, so then why isn't it working? So let's fast forward to today and this month alone. And in the last month, we have all with our own eyes seen two different videos now of two black men that are, in in my very gracious opinion, ridiculously unwarrantedly either gunned down or murdered um, in my opinion, because they are black. Uh, The things that they were doing in these different situations, in my opinion, should never be the reason of why someone loses their life. And I cannot, I I'm waking up really frustrated today because I don't understand. And that's why I really wanted to hop on with you today because I don't, fucking understand it i don't get it as like a white person i can't understand or even better figure out like what we as white people need to do to make this better i feel i'm getting emotional because i'm feeling really hopeless over here we've been dealing with this for a long time and this is in my own ignorant eyes of the 
this has been happening for a long time. Will Smith said it best. And the quote you may be seeing going around today is like, racism is not getting worse. It's just getting videoed now. We're just seeing it now. And, you know, as a privileged white person, I am starting to wake up and say, holy shit, this is not my reality. But for a lot of black people, it is. So let's just take the situation today alone, you know, and I, I'm not a news reporter, but I'm going to report it the best way. And I, I'm sure you, you, you talk to your mom about it. And, um, you know, before you get into that, sure. Kramer, I, I want to say, and I, I'm so glad that you feel those emotions. And that's why I wanted to just let you talk it out. That anger, that frustration that you feel is what we have felt for generations and no one has listened. No one has wanted to do anything about it. When we said we want to be equal, we want to vote, we weren't humans. People don't realize that when you enslave a people for centuries, you don't just unwrap that with a couple of laws on the books and say, oh, it's fine. Think about how long it took for us to get to this moment to where you and I were able to work together, where I was able to host a show. So yes, on the surface, yeah. it is fantastic. But how many times, and I don't, know, I don't know the answer to this question, as a radio host on a quote-unquote white top 40 radio station, how many advertisers have said, you know what, I'd rather not have Miguel uh, represent my product? How many times when you and I worked together were yeah. those conversations had in back rooms? I don't know, but I've had mm -hmm. people tell me before just right. because of the color of my skin. Now, right. that's just work. We're not talking about safety, about your life. So that fear and that anger, when people say to us, and now, and I love that you're feeling that anger, and when people say, well, it's just your history. It was in the past. It didn't happen to you. Bull fucking shit. Ask those families if that was in the past because it's happening right now. And like Will Smith said, it's on camera and we see it. You can see it. We can all see it and we can all feel that anger and hopefully move forward from it. I mean, I'm not proud to say it, but I definitely came from that ignorant point of view. Right. And if you would ask me 15 years ago, I, and I may have even said it to you where it's like black people need to get over it, like mm -hmm. get over it. Like you want right. to be a part of society, then like quit saying that you're so underprivileged. And so like, just be privileged. Just, just be, just, just go out and get a job. Just fucking walk down the street. Just right. fucking, you know, like that's where my mind was. And I'm so embarrassed that I had that point of view but I guess I'm so proud today to be able to say, like, I'm so thankful that I was able to learn and to grow from these situations mm -hmm. to be able to now see it. And that's really why I, I love talking to you. And that's why I really wanted to bring you on the podcast today, because you do a, such a great job of articulating this kind of stuff. And you, uh, it's, it's, you, you're, you know, you're passionate about it and you've lived it and you're angry, um, but you're not like threatening with it. Does that make sense? Yes, because I mean, and, and even that right there, people will be like, oh, so because Miguel is like the nice, friendly black guy, like that's why it's acceptable to hear. But the reason why people are so angry is because people are, are dying. You know, like- Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, and, I, and I get it. You're 100% allowed to be upset. Right. And, and I, But it's almost like, let's just take, let's just take a, a normal relationship, okay? Like with, mm -hmm. you, with you and your boyfriend, Abe, or me and my, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, previously. Oh. Um <laughs> I've always felt that if we don't communicate correctly, because you're coming ignorant white people don't get it. No. And when, when we're being yelled at until now, when we're able to fucking see it, mm -hmm. but in the past like we didn't see it, we didn't, we didn't know it was there. Right. So in our ignorant minds, it wasn't happening. Um, I, I, but, I just, but now, but sorry. No, I was just going to say that then that's what it takes is examples, examples for you to see. Um, and I, it, it's so great unfortunately and it's sort of like hopefully and i pray to god that you know these young black men that have been gunned down and killed that they're not dying in vain that hopefully we will start to see some change um 
but this is what it's going to take is is, is sure. for for us to all see it and feel it in our core in our soul Right. Well, let's go to today's situations. Okay, so this is from CBS News. A police statement said the officers were responding to a forgery in progress. Said officers were advised that the suspect was sitting on top of a blue car and appeared to be under the influence, said the statement. Two officers arrived at a location and the suspect, a male believed to be in his 40s, in his car. Uh, the order was to step away from his car. Uh, and then this is the quote from the uh, police chief over in... Minneapolis said after he got out, he physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get him, uh, get the suspect handcuffed and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance, according to the statement. The man died soon after, and the statement's adding that at no time were weapons of any type used by anyone involved in the incident. Body-worn cameras were on the, uh, the act, uh, were on and activated during the incident. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the story that we're given. Now, of course, we have all seen a video at this point that right. shows quite differently that this man was not resisting arrest mm-hmm. and was actually pinned to the ground with a knee from one of the officers and couldn't breathe and repeatedly said, I can't breathe. Like it like, mm-hmm. was like, I cannot breathe. Mm-hmm. And for, I don't remember the time, I was reading earlier today, uh, but for 10 minutes maybe, he was kept in that same position. And don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's the exact time, but, but for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kept in that position all over a forgery situation. Forgery. Yes. Someone's life is gone because of forgery. Forgery. So when you see, when you see a story like that, what's like, what has gone through your head over the past 24 hours? Or is less, so, less than that now, but I, I am, I am not a, uh, political commentator i am not pc i am not uh i could never be a politician because when i see that when i see these stories i immediately think of all of those people in michigan who went up to the state capitol with guns and chants and signs and they were shouting into police officers faces because they said open up our state i don't want to be stuck at home i want to go to the salon i want to do this i want to do that now one person was harmed i don't even know if anybody was arrested i don't know so when i think about the fact that all those people with guns we saw the pictures from michigan screaming in their faces and then we see this guy who Okay, he was drunk. He was on his guard. There was a forgery. Okay, w- what? Now he's dead. And it, it angers me to my fucking soul that the people that will now say, well, what was his prior arrest record? Uh, what did he do before that? Did he, re- he tried to resist. No one's life should be taken because of that. And it just makes me so angry for the hypocrisy, for the unfairness that as a black man, you can't walk out of line. You can't be drunk on your car because maybe you lost your job or maybe you're having a bad day. You can't do that because someone's going to think, "Uh oh, here goes an aggressive black male. We have to use excessive force to bring him down and then he's going to die. Whereas a homeboy from Michigan can march up to the Capitol with the fucking governor and senators and nobody's touched. Tell me, how is that fair? How is that fair? We, our entire lives have told we have to work harder. We have to do more. And it still doesn't matter because you're still going to be a black thug on a car, drunk, resisting arrest. Even though you can have all the accolades in the world, it don't matter at the end of the day because you're still a black man. What do you think should have happened in that situation? Handcuff him, put him in the back of the car, question him. If he's completely um, inebriated, you take him to jail. You and I lived on Panama City Beach. Police know how to do that. They know how to handle people that are intoxicated or on drugs. How many stories do we see? How many Florida stories do you see of drunk 
people all the time doing crazy stuff and they sit them down, they arrest them or they talk to them, let them cool down. They get the facts afterwards and then they let the, the justice system play out the way it's supposed to, to play out. If he was resisting arrest, then you put him on the ground so he can breathe and then you put him in the back of the cop car. Why does, so why do you think that we and obviously I'm going to make a this is going to be a, a state we we see isolated incidences right like mm-hmm. and we can even go back to what happened over in in Georgia um, which wasn't the police but you do see a lot of this happening in the police situations right why mm-hmm. do you think that is why do you think do you think and this is going to be a bold statement here but mm-hmm. do you think that all police are racist I mean no, that's a weird statement not. to make. So why I, why do we see it a lot when it comes to law enforcement, do you think? I don't even think – I mean, okay, now, okay, hold on before I say that. I don't know anything. Like I said, I have not read through the entire story, so I'm not here as like a, a spokesperson for black people. This sure. is just for from my experience, my small, tiny experience in Georgia and Florida. That's it. Most of the officers that I have met um, that listen to my show, that come to our events, they're not – racist. But let's go back to the beginning of this conversation when I told you about those sort of unintended biases, those unintended prejudices. So I'm taught growing up as a black man that if I'm in a parking garage, if I'm walking down the street, if I'm in the store, I keep my hands out of my pockets. I have a smile on my face and I want you to know that I am not threatening. Did your parents ever tell you to do that growing up? No, of course not. That's something that I've always had. So why is that? That's because, and this is where we go back to history, black men, black people were beasts. We weren't human. We were uh, not intelligent. We were just looking out to rape a white woman. That was it. So when you have those messages compounded well, well, where generation did, well, where after generation. Where did that come from? Where did that even come from? The reason why black people were slaves, because we weren't looked at as humans, because our skin were darker, and because they didn't understand, the Europeans didn't understand the language and the culture that was in Africa. Well, this is just, this is, this is property. These aren't humans. These are beasts. They look different than us. Their noses are a little bit bigger. Their lips are bigger. Their skin's very dark. So clearly, these aren't humans. They're not pristine and white. So we're talking about centuries ago. And now you bring it forward to now, these things don't happen. So whenever I have uh, white friends that go, you know, I've never been with a, a black girl or a black guy before because that's just not my thing. That person is not racist to me. I always go, so why is that? So if you're telling me, so usually it's a gay man I'm talking to. It'll be one of my you're, friends. But, but you're right. It happens all the time, right? Like, I'm right. just not that into black girls. I'm not that into black guys. But, like, right. why? Like, I go, why? why? So let's, yeah. let's, and one time a friend it's had a couple. It's just not of, my thing. It's just not right. my thing. And then when I <laughs> yeah. when I dug down into it, I was like, so, okay, so so why? Why mm-hmm. isn't it? Is, it? is it the color of the skin? Is it our nose? Is it our hair? What is it? I don't know. I don't know, they say. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. because you've been taught that black is not beautiful. Black is not the standard. So you take that, you get a police officer that, oh, I, lo- I listen to Miguel on the radio. I love black people. They're great. But you've never fully thought through these biases that you have in your mind yeah, of totally. when I see a black man who may look a little bit more urban as opposed to Miguel, you know, walking happy down the street. Uh Oh, I better, I, be- I better be nervous. I better be scared. So then when you arm with, because listen, I don't doubt that what the police officers go through, that's scary. That's some scary stuff sure. that they have and to go through and they have exactly. to go quickly. And so yeah. what happens is when you have that, that fight or flight, uh, going in your brain and you would hope that your training comes into play, then those unintentional biases from back in the day that you've been told, ooh, the black man is scary. So if that were just Stephen Kramer sitting on a car, inebriated, forgery, they would handcuff you. Probably you may tossle around a little bit. They'll put you in the back of the car and say, you're going to sleep it off and we'll talk to you in the morning. Well, not with this black man. That's yeah. where it comes from. That's how it happens. So I don't think they're racist. 
there are some racist people, but I just think that these are the unintentional biases and that racism that we've never dealt with. But how, but how do they still exist? I guess that's my question. How again, here I am, right? Mm I don't, I've never been in a situation where I've felt that I've, you know, grew up with a racist family or a racist community, at least on surface level. We, we didn't sit around with KKK flags or we hate black people or any of that. Mm-hmm. So why does that, why does it still exist? Like why? And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I'm just wondering, how does it still exist? So answer me. That- are, like, let's just take, let's just take this really quick. Mm-hmm. Just that statement alone. I can't tell you how many times I've even, even heard that phrase. Of, right. Oh, it's you know I'm just not that into black people. I'm not, you know I uh, have you ever dated a black guy? Well, no, I mean I've never been into, you know like it, it happens all the time. This is coming from loving, caring, emotional, good people, right? Because think about how and where you grew up. How many black people were in your senior class at your high school? I mean, to be fair, I had a pretty diverse high school, but I'd still right. say there was a, a a type of segregation between the between there the. Was you because know. I I know the city you grew up in because my cousin yeah. lived there, um, mm-hmm. and there and if I remember correctly, and we're going back a while ago, there was like a set of train tracks in that city that yeah, it was like yeah. blacks on this Literally. side, blacks on that side. Yeah. So and then everyone came together at school, but there's definitely still a separation of uh, because in, in my neighborhood, like in mm-hmm. my neighborhood. It was all white people, you know, majority exactly. white. So, um, yes, but I would definitely had. go to school with 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 people that were black and were Cuban and were I mean, it was that was probably the two Hispanic of some sort, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and some Asian people, but not a lot. But I would say there was there was still a lot of black people. So why would you say that even growing up? Why when I met you in college would I still have that type of impression of like, you know, it's not like I, I'd never met a black person before, or didn't hang out with them, or didn't have black friends. You had black friends on the surface, but it wasn't ingrained in you back then because we grew up in the 80s and the 90s where it wasn't really talked about. And if it was, it was still kind of sensitive because when we were very, very young, we were still dealing with the L.A. riots. We were still dealing with Oprah doing. I mean, think about it. Think about it. You were born. I was born in 85. You were born in what? 83. Yeah, 83. 83. What three up six years after both of us were born? Uh, Oprah did a show like a stone's throw from where you lived, 45 minutes from where I lived, where not a single black person lived, it was all white people. And they like Oprah was, um, we're all surprised she wasn't killed back then. It was Forsyth County, Georgia, and you should look this up on YouTube. It's a interesting fascinating look at where life was not that long ago and this was like late 80s so your parents yes they're loving but there's a reason why they moved into a white neighborhood and why the black people lived in their black neighborhood there was no cross uh pollination of cultures so when we grow up that way with only seeing what's around us then, oh, that's foreign. That's different. So we we still have these biases. And especially mm-hmm. when we grew up, what black people did we see outside of, what, Martin, Will Smith, that were famous? Right. None. There, were, there weren't like athletes. Yeah. Who were the black women that you had on your wall back then? I, I mean, I, I can't think. I honestly couldn't think of one black woman no because like that from like like childhood being like oh yeah. that's what what a hero or what a celebrity you know mm-hmm. honestly i can't think of one until like oprah or like michelle obama but yeah but if i'm so, just being honest exactly but and, and see here's the thing and this is where it's like yes uh girl my my, my townhouse is called chateau oprah so we worship the <laughs> I ground she walks on uh, i love her so much and michelle obama um, but just in everyday regular life, like the TV shows we watched that we mentioned earlier, the movies. Remember yeah. it, when we were growing up in like the late 90s, early 2000s, all of those I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream, um, uh, all those movies, not one black person. Yeah. yeah. So like no. when though when that isn't yeah, what, your- really quick. Sorry, let me, let me pause you really quick here. What's it like to watch a movie like that when you're black? Um, or to grow up, my, my my other thing that I think about a lot is 
growing up and all the toys are like white kids, you know, oh, yeah. they're all white kids playing with toys, all the commercials, white kids, white toys. What's it feel I, like? I don't know if anyone's ever been able to describe this, but you just, it's, it's, it's almost like you're watching a life that you want to be a part of, but you're not, and you don't understand. So, mm. you know, when I would watch these shows, cause I spent a lot of time because my, I live so far away from my school. Um, I spent a lot of time, which is why I watch so much TV now. I spent so much time with TV back then, always thinking, well, gosh, if I were white, then I would have had a mom and a dad, or I would have had a dad. Uh, We would have had a big house and, you know, uh, two cars and a dog and all this other stuff. And you sort of long to see what your, to see yourself on screen. Um, and, And so I know this is about race, but I remember the first time that I read a gay novel when I was a, a sophomore in high school, and I read about it online um, at the time. That ooh, uh, Anne Rice, who did interview with the vampire, her son is gay mm-hmm. and just had a novel. And so I asked my grandma to take me to the bookstore because I was going to buy something for church, and I secretly bought this book. And I remember crying after I read it because I thought oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one. Someone else has this experience. And so Mm. just think, if Dawson would have been black, they wouldn't have to change the story. It would have been the same. Pacey was white. I mean, listen, it would have been fine, but just to see yourself on screen means so much because what we see in movies and TV influences so much of, of, of our culture. And to me, that's where we start to to see it and to, to to change it a little bit. Right. Well, getting back to the, you know, the situation at hand today, and by today, I mean literally for um, hundreds of years now. Um, right. But I, I want to do this episode today because it, this, this keeps happening. This keeps happening. And what happens, we all get fired up and you can get on Instagram today and you can see all the angry people and oh, it's like we do with anything, right? If there's a mass mm-hmm. shooting, we'll do the same thing. You know, if it's, it's, but it's almost like things aren't changing. We're still seeing this kind of stuff happen. Right. How, how does it change? And going back to the, the question that I asked you a few minutes ago, which is like, why isn't it working? Like, why isn't the system working? Why aren't things getting better? And what do we as a society, and I'm saying, what do white people need to do? What do black people need to do? What do Mexican people need to do? What do Asian people need to do? What do we as people coming at it from different experiences and different privileges need to do? Having these sort of conversations and when you are forced with very painful thoughts, uh, that you accept them and just don't brush them off. So if you're listening to this and you are a person that's always said, oh, well, I'm not really into black guys. I'm not really in, in the black chicks. Keep asking yourself why. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. And you're going to realize, oh my gosh, I've been a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, not saying that you're God's gift to uh, black people that, oh, God, we're just waiting for you to come date us. But <laughs> that just, you know, because we're not over here just like, oh, just waiting for one of you to come date us, please. Well, let me let me flip this on you for a second and we'll mm-hmm. just get personal in this situation. You typically date and dated white guys. Your boyfriend's white. Absolutely. Where's yeah. Where does that come from? That's because I share um, uh, beliefs with him. That doesn't take away from my blackness. I've date my first boyfriend was black. I've dated black guys. I've had sex with black guys. Um, I just like actually the guy that I was talking to before my boyfriend was black, and we both were like, "Oh my gosh, we normally don't date black guys. This is great, and we like each other." But then as we got to know each other, it just wasn't a connection for whatever reason. Right. So. I don't limit myself to that. So, I'm so not you wouldn't saying, say I'm not into black guys. You're right. not saying like you're like I don't know, I really think black guys. I'm just right. So yeah. if we're if so, I don't pick people based on their color. I pick right. people based on you know the shared experiences and 
what we enjoy together, those sort of things. So I'm not like uh, when I was on when I was single and I was on Tinder and, and Grinder, I would swipe right on white guys, on black guys, on Hispanic guys, on Asian guys, I, I, I Indian guys. There was like no limit for me. Girl, I was just desperate. I was ready for anybody <laughs> to date me. Okay, let's be honest. Let's be honest. I know so many great Miguel dating stories. One day I'll have to bring you on here. We'll have to talk about the uh, apartment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all you got to say and i remember oh god i haven't heard that one in a while oh, that's been god. a second it's one of my favorites though um <laughs> so let let me mm, ask is by me saying i'm not part of the problem being part of the problem um Uh, you know me, I mean, you know me best, you know, mm-hmm. you know me, you're, you're one of my best friends. You, you know me, mm-hmm. every, every angle of me, the goods, the bads, everything. I mean, I don't consider myself, if you ask me, am I part of the problem? I'm like, no, I'm not part of the problem. But now when you sit here and you say these kind of certain things, I'm like, shit, am I part of the problem? Like, am I just as bad as everybody else? Are we all just kind of fucked at this point? Because we've just grown up and been embedded with these layers of past history that are probably getting a little bit lighter each time. Right. Uh, each generation is becoming uh, probably a little bit better, but, but you're right. I mean, the, the, after hearing this whole conversation, the problems still exist and they still exist from years ago. Just because you're not my slave mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the same, that you still have the same rights and the same, not maybe not rights, but the same experience <sighs> experience that I'm going to have. And I, and that comes from years and 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 years. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same title, but it still has the same meaning and sentiment behind it. So am I so, part of the problem? Like, what do I do as a white person or as a Mexican person or as, uh, let me put it this way. I think that really what this can come down to, because I have a lot of friends that are also Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from, from working with a bunch of them, having, you know, good friendships, having deep conversations kind of like this, that we have very different experiences too. And they're mm-hmm. very similar to the experiences of black people where Absolutely. just because you are not white Mm-hmm. you, I mean, the same stories when it comes to the cops, right? Like the, the right. cops are the, are the enemies because they're going to look at you a certain way when it comes to availability of jobs. And of course it's not, this is not the same. I think that sometimes when I have these kind of conversations, people look at it as black and white, right? Not no, like race not. wise, but like, it's right. like, well, I, well, that can't be true because I know this one guy and he's, right. you know, he's Hispanic and he's the CEO of a company. Well, of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I'm not saying that like it's uh, un, un, like impossible, mm-hmm. but I would say that it's a extreme disadvantage when you're not white. So what in the fuck do we do? Like as a white person, do I have to accept that I'm part of the problem? And by ignoring that and by saying, oh, no, like I'm not racist. Is that part of the problem itself? I think you, okay, first off, you're not racist, so we can put you through the school of not racist. Okay. Um, That's good. Uh, but I do think that as I've gotten older and I've, you know, been in the, the working world and in the, uh, in the world just in general, I see how you're not part of the problem, but how you and um other people can help is by speaking up so i think about uh the me too movement and how that has radically changed our 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 country and our business world and i think i don't remember who it was but it was someone at an award ceremony a few years ago that said something to the effect of i challenge you to make a certain percentage of the the staff on your movie on your set to be women, to give them a fair shot. So here's how you can help. Speak up. Speak up. Why is it that you and I have worked in the industry for the same amount of time and I have always made less than you? Right. And it's true. Like it's, it's 100% true. Like Miguel and I have had very, almost the same role in Mm. the same city. And I, I made more. Right. Um, and I mean, you could, you could say, well, that's a, that's a business thing, right? That's a, you know, it's oh, just the why? budget. 
but 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 why? Why? Mm-hmm. You know? And so then, and this is where how you can help is by keep asking those questions. Why? Because mm-hmm. I've asked it. I've said. I've worked my ass off and you know, I love you, but you know, I will work circles around you every day. Cause that's just how I was always taught is you got to work faster, harder, sure. and more than any other white person in the building in order to just even come close to what they're going to get. And so that's right. how I've always treated my life when it comes to school, when it comes to work. When it comes and to this I, archive, all these all these old clips. I mean, you, you don't right. see me having clips from other stations, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 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 one of the hardest working people in the game for sure. And so that's why I say, like, it's not your fault. But now that we are getting to the age where we can make decisions, now it's time to ask the question: Why? Why? Why is it that? Uh, you know, black neighborhoods don't have the schools or the best schools or the parks. Um, why are the fathers sometimes absent? These are the questions, the hard questions that we need to ask why and, and, and come up with solutions. Because people can't just say, and this is a beautiful quote that um, one of my professors at our college, Georgia Southern University, uh, Dr. Geierman told me, and I, it was like he hit me with a ton of bricks when he said this in our uh, soci- it was uh, sociology class. He said, when people of privilege tell other people that are marginalized, well, pull up by your bootstraps. You'll just get over it. Just work harder. How can you pull up your bootstraps if you don't have any? So if you help people, if you ask people, if you have conversations with people, if you advocate for people. So if you're in, in, in a working position where you know, you know that a, a little Miguel like me is working and you're part of the conversation where it's me, Miguel, a black kid, and there's, you know, little Steven, and we're both the same. And they're like, well, we want to pay Miguel $35,000. we are going to pay Steven 40000 Ask them why. Do we have, do I, do, does Miguel have less qualifications? What makes him deserve less? These are the sort of questions and conversations we have to have to be able to move forward. Why are we still living in segregated neighborhoods? But see, this is where I do think that it's changing. Like I think about Holly, um, our old co-host, and she has a daughter, Maya, who is six, and Holly's white, um, and her ex-husband is white, so her daughter's white, and her daughter calls me Uncle Miguel, and she knows my boyfriend as um, Uncle Abe. So she's, as a little white girl, always going to know that her mom worked with Uncle Miguel, who was with Uncle Abe. Right, right. So she sees us as equals. She has people that she sees a strong woman. She sees a strong black gay man. And she sees her her, her father as a, a, a strong white man. Right. That, that's, that's how it should be. And that's how we'll start to progress. So is that, I mean, are we as a generation right now, are we just fucked? Is it going to take years and years and years and years and more, you know, the next generation coming up? Because I think that's pretty much what's happened. It's like every generation is getting a little bit lighter, a little bit lighter, a little bit lighter, but it's still here. So in our lifetime, can we make those changes without just passing it on to our children that hopefully they can be better than we were growing up? It will be better. It will get better. But there is never going to be a time that we will flip a switch and it will be, whoo. The racism is gone, girl. We did our job. Yes. (laughs) No. I mean, I want to kind of, because I've just been listening to this for the last hour or so, and I think what I've taken away from it, and maybe that I've I've always seen myself as a person that can use my platform. Like I don't know that I'm going to be the first one to go out to a rally for something, for anything. It doesn't matter what right. it is, right? Like I'm very big into women's rights too. And have I ever attended the uh, women's march? No, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the type of personality that I am, right? Right. Um, I think though that what you said was so profound that I hope that everybody, because I think that most people listening probably aren't, 
going to be that moved uh, to get up from this podcast and go and, you know, start a coalition. You know, I, it's probably just not going to happen. Right. Um, but I think that honestly, and this really just opened my eyes of like, what can we do? Because nothing is changing. If we all just take a look at ourselves and we ask ourselves those questions and we, and we say, why are we in the situations that we are in? When it comes to being a, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about white people here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, why am I, why I have I, why did I go to college? Why the opportunity to go to college? You know, mm-hmm. and um, I was told that I was supposed to go to college because that's what white kids did. Mm-hmm. You know, you were told, society told you you're white. You got to get ahead. You have to go to college. And that's what you're supposed to do. But even as simple as looking at your own prejudices and, you're right. And it's going to hurt. And there's going to be times that I'm going to look at, even when you have the conversation, I'm like, damn, you know, there's still t- as, as, as open-minded and as forward as I try to think, there are still times I'm sure I sit back and I say, oh, well, you know, this or that, or mm-hmm. I feel this way or I feel that way. And, and why as somebody right. that mentally, and it may not even be a mental thing, but to break down your own barriers. Mm-hmm. I think you answered my question when I woke up hopeless thinking, what can I do? I think the answer may be I got to start looking at myself first. Right. And, and everybody takes that time to, to like break down. Well, why do you say that? And why are these things the way they are? Not, oh my God, this black guy got killed and it's the cop's fault and we got to go change it. Well, but why as it's, it's, it's not going to be these isolated incidences. It's going to be right. an overall thing. And I would have to say as white people, We've got to wake up to this kind of stuff. And I think mm-hmm. people like that say they're not racist or are not prejudiced or not, you know, no, I love black people. I love Mexican people. I love it. Like, but where is that layer where you're not quite aware yet that you still right. hold on to? And if we all were to do that, even if it was to like going back to like think about childhood, if you're white and how all the TV shows were white and like that, just that alone, like you got that experience that other cultures didn't. And imagine what it would feel like to every day turn on your TV and seeing all these white people and you being like, well, that's not what I am. You know, that's not. So how do I, how am I supposed to relate to that? Even if it's something as simple as that, you know? And for those that say, you know, I'll speak for white people, those that say that like, I'm not, I, there's no white privilege, you know, like I, I worked hard to get where I am today. Cause I did, you know what I did. I worked hard to get where I am today and being here unemployed, <laughs> I worked really hard to be unemployed. Um, no, but I did like, I, I did work hard. And I think that a lot of white people think that white privilege means that you are successful because you're white. But I think the fact that you don't have to think about smiling at white at, at different races when you leave the house is a privilege in itself. And to me, um, I think about, and I'm, I'm thinking a lot about money right now because I'm dealing with all that stuff right now. Um, sure. I think about how, even from when you and I were in college, you have always been an amazing saver because I'm mm-hmm. sure that was instilled in you. You save, you save, you save. Well, that wasn't instilled in me because it, my mom, it wasn't instilled in her and it wasn't instilled in my grandmother and so then you go back like one or two generations. Oh, look, we have slaves who didn't have money. So you mm-hmm. see how it's just sort of led down and how they're like, oh, my gosh, that was so long ago. No, it wasn't. No, right. it wasn't. I'm learning mm-hmm. how to save now. I'm learning about how to invest and how to do these things. These weren't words or terms that were thrown around my house when I was growing up. No one talked about the stock market or 401k or benefits. That wasn't sure. a thing. I've had to teach myself that. So when we talk about privilege, that's the privilege that you were given is that right. you're, you were around that talk of here's what you do to be successful. Right. Here's what you do to save money. I never learned what, that. What kind of conversations were you having when it came to that kind of stuff? There weren't any. <laughs> like how to succeed. Like what would you, what were you taught about how to like, how to like, what was instilled hard, in you about how to like live your best life? Work hard and that's it. Work hard and that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, mm-hmm. when I said that I wanted to be on the radio, I mean, that was like, I mean, think about it. My mom has never really had like a, a, a career. She's had jobs in the past. So she's 62 now. Um, the past 
10 years of her life, she sort of finally settled into this sort of office manager job um, with DFACS, a child of uh, protective services in Georgia. Um, my grandmother was a cook her entire life because it just, that just wasn't what we knew now that's what you do you just go out and get a job right like right, that's it like you job. work and you pay your rent and that's it like because that's what right. you know as as a black person and i'm just being you know stereotypically it's like well black people that's you just go in and you, you get a job and you, this is what you do and you know white people have the careers and then yes yeah, son you better go get on a career path and go to college and you didn't have that same you're just trying to survive so many years of just trying to survive yeah yeah and yeah. and let me just say this too my experience is not every black experience. My my opinions are not every black uh, opinion. Um, the church I grew up in, there were lots of successful black people who went to college and who helped me along the way trying to figure out how, how do I fill out the FAFSA? How do I pick a college? How do I do that stuff? So this is not the only experience. But when we start to like realize that this stuff has it starts from somewhere it doesn't just happen we can then start to heal those wounds Mm. well i've always appreciated these conversations and um you hopefully there's somebody that walks away with this and a little nugget and realizes that you know there's probably it's it's almost like gun control right like there's not going to be an answer tomorrow of why this kind of stuff still happens Mm -hmm. it's very ingrained in us and the second you don't think it is i think it's really where it starts to become a problem so um i've learned a lot today and i just always appreciate you being so open and, and just talking about your experiences and um, just being, you know, an, an advocate for bringing everybody together and being able to explain it and, you know, uh, through your experience is, is really powerful. So I appreciate you as always, my friend. Well, thank you for asking the questions because it would have been so easy for you to, you know, do your podcast today about Holly's big tongue like we did. <laughs> You really missed an opportunity today, I'll tell you. You really. <laughs> uh, to be honest, we're going to talk about it. I needed yeah. some days. Yeah, I know I, I needed. I needed some days to really just really dig into it and, sure. and think um, without just. And thankfully, you have helped me sort of walk through some of my uh, thoughts so we can have Good. a clear, concise conversation on the radio and our podcast tomorrow. So thank you. Good. Good, absolutely. I'll call you back in a couple of days so we can uh, talk about gay pride. <laughs> it's Friday month in a couple of days, so we'll yes, we'll handle that one next. I'm ready. I got my Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande shirt ready, girl. I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, a totally different conversation. We'll go back to the Felicity comment. We'll start there and move forward. Uh, Miguel is a great guy. He has uh, his social media is great. It's at Miguel Fuller on. Is it everything? I'm sure. Yeah, that's everything. Uh, and uh, their podcast is really good too it is the Miguel and Holly Uncensored podcast and I'll link to it down in the show notes alright man I love you so much love you sir have a great day okay that's it for today thanks for listening to my son's podcast Certified Mama's Boy be sure to review and subscribe and tell your friends love you forever forever